What's up, guys? Welcome to the Inside OU podcast. Just a heads up for what you're about to listen to on this show. Typically on Tuesdays, we do Media Corner with uh, somebody in the Oklahoma sports market that covers Oklahoma Sooners football athletics. And this week we had Danielle Dwyer from OKC Fox 25 on with us today, uh, or actually it was yesterday I recorded it with her. And the conversation, to be frank, was just too damn good. Uh, we usually go 20 or 30 minutes, so Danielle and I just kind of kept going, talking about OU and all their problems. But uh, the thing about Danielle, she's a native Ohioan, grew up an Ohio State fan, even covered the Ohio State Buckeyes when Alex Grinch was the co-DC there. So uh, because there's been a lot of conversations and, and even some questioning about Alex Grinch's uh, defense over the last few weeks going into his second year at OU, and also because I don't want there this to be a two-and-a-half-hour-long podcast because you'll also hear Keaton and I's conversation following Lincoln Riley's press conference later on in this show, I'm just going to put in about 20 or 30 minutes of Danielle and I's conversation on this podcast. You can, of course... Uh, listen or watch the entire thing because it was on Zoom, so you can watch video if you'd prefer on our Patreon page. Let's just go to patreon.com slash inside underscore OU. It's under the $4 tier, and again, the $4 tier gets you our post-game show, a bunch of other content, whether it's something I write or something I film, and then Daniel's conversation in full is about an hour and 10 minutes is available there, and then $5 a month gets you Keegan Renault's film breakdown, so you can look for that there as well. But yeah, you're going to get 20 or 30 minutes of Danielle and I talking about Alex Grinch and the defense and then what may or may not happen as we get further along in this season. And then, of course, our typical Tuesday show uh, with Keegan Renault afterwards. So thank you all once again for listening to Inside OU and enjoy the show. Bob Stoops ruined my childhood. It's the Inside OU Podcast on the Franchise Podcast Network. If you listen to this OU Compliance, I don't endorse that last message. With Brady Trantham and Keegan Renault. Mike Stoops should be put on trial for war crimes. And what's up, everybody? Welcome to Media Corner on the Inside OU Podcast. Yes, we're still podcasting despite the fact that the team we all root for sucks. Oh my God, they're awful. It is The sky is falling. 2020 has defeated the Oklahoma Sooners, but rest assured, Inside OU is still soldiering on. Brady Trantham here, uh, joined by Fox 25 in Oklahoma City's very own Miss Danielle Dwyer. Danielle, how are you doing? Doing well, Brady. Doing well. Um, I feel bad for all the Sooners fans, uh, but I'm, I'm doing okay. It, it just is like, I feel the Sooner fans are kind of getting a taste of what my life was like growing up as a Browns fan. So, <laughs> hey, the so Browns, <laughs> the Browns gave us kind of an OU experience this week. I mean, obviously Baker Mayfield, uh, quarterback, best quarterback ever, even though he threw for 165 yards and the Browns scored 50 points or whatever. That's uh, rather unheard of in football. But yeah, they, they were. We were actually texting because we were going to record yesterday. We're recording now at three o'clock on Monday, and. Uh, schedules kind of didn't work out so uh at the same time we were kind of talking about the browns game and i actually left the house left my apartment when they were up 38 to 14 and you texted me back like 15 20 minutes later like all nervous and i'm like man they're 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 up like a thousand points right now and then i get back and i'm like what just happened (laughs) yep oh when you've seen this like story unfold all too many times before it's it's hard to ever feel that a Browns lead is safe and um I definitely felt like my late 
something my my late father would have done i did yesterday was i actually did shut the game off i was oh, like yeah. i cannot hear them lose i just can't <laughs> and i i was like i feel like he's looking down on me proud right now because that's every time i would call him that would be the thing he'd be like i can't even watch him anymore you know <laughs> so i shut it off in the fourth quarter or whatever so um i did shut it off but then of course thanks to uh twitter I kept my updates on. Uh, so I knew what happened and when I could kind of turn it back on. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I did the probably the exact same thing twice last year with OU games, especially at the end of the year when they were just winning by the skin of their teeth. Big 12 championship, uh, uh, when Baylor's third string quarterback came out and was just throwing for 200 yards over OU's defense, I, at one point in the fourth quarter, I was like, I can't watch the game anymore. And I just went outside of my... Um, neighborhood and just started taking a walk and following the game on Twitter. I was like, I can't handle this crap anymore. But um, yeah, it, it's funny what sports does. And it's funny what doing the post-game show um, for 107.7 has done to my fan OU fandom because I'm watching the Iowa State game and watching the Kansas State game and watching everything unfold. And I'm just like, it's, I don't know if it's just because I've been an OU fan now for 22, 23 years and I'm just accustomed to this crap. Danielle, but I don't know. I, I, I was angry, as our Patre- Patreon uh, subscribers know, listening to the post-game show, but I don't know. 0-2, it's OU Texas week. It does not feel like OU Texas week whatsoever, but um, before we get into a little bit of everything else, for those that aren't too familiar with Danielle, like you just mentioned, Browns fan, you are a native Ohioan, so you have a little bit of little bit of insight, a little bit of a take on Alex Grinch, considering that everybody is just like, fire Grinch now, since uh, OU's defense sucks again. So uh, let, let's just kind of start there, Danielle. Um, Alex Grinch's defense did not perform well whatsoever, whether it was missed tackles, untimely penalties, not capitalizing on the turnovers that he so stresses. Uh, but like I mentioned with Keegan, like Keegan's probably breaking down with the film thing on the Patreon page right now as we speak. My overall general view was the new guys and even some of the guys that were technically recruited by Mike Stoops, but guys who are just now getting their first go, the new guys against Iowa State and Kansas State, they played fairly well. I mean, there's a lot to be hopeful for, but the same guys that we've seen mainly in the secondary, they're making the same mistakes over and over. So I ask you, Danielle, is Alex Grinch overrated? Is he a hack or is it just this is what happens when you make a change in college football. It just, it takes a while for the change to actually be realized. Well, Brady, you mentioned the players and I think we'll get to those hopefully a little bit later and just focusing on Alex Grinch alone. I agree with you. I think up front, like the D line, those younger guys, I thought they looked decent. I thought they really looked decent. When you look at the secondary, that is a problem, a major, major problem. Uh, The missed tackles, all that. I don't think, I don't think Alex Grinch is a hack, but I, uh, I told you, I was like, I hope I can find this clip. I know I have it like on my computer somewhere, but when I moved here last June, that summer, um, talking with Curtis Fitzpatrick on our Sunday show about Alex Grinch, of course he asked me, I'm from Ohio. I covered the Buckeyes when Alex Grinch was co-defensive coordinator with Greg Schiano there and their defense was really, really bad that year. And I looked at Curtis and said, if Alex Grinch forgets everything he learned from Greg Schiano at Ohio State and comes in and runs the speed D the way he wants to run it here at Oklahoma, I think the Sooners are going to be great. I think he has that opportunity to turn the program around. I think the biggest thing with him 
is I, I, I hate saying this because every program faced this, but not having a spring, I think really hurt them. I think, you know, when Caleb Kelly goes down again with another torn ACL, uh, you expect him to be your leader. I, you know, one of those leaders, I think that really hurts too, because that secondary doesn't have, you know, like a Kenneth Murray guy and Pat Fields is trying to do that. You hear some of the names the guys toss around. I think that is a struggle. I think, Alex Grinch is trying to figure out like who's stepping up. And he mentioned after Saturday's loss that, you know, how they practice versus how they play. He mentioned that even leading up to the game, they're peaking earlier in the week than they are on Saturdays. Like you can get five takeaways on a Tuesday. It doesn't matter on Saturday. And he's right. I think the guys have tremendous respect for Alex Grinch. I think his speed D is great because I do feel like we've seen flashes of improvement or good things in these streaks here and there with games. But I think it's just, honestly, it's like taking me back to covering (laughs) Ohio state when he was there as a co-defensive coordinator with Greg Schiano, because that year, I mean, it was, if anybody was watching college football and remembers, it was Ohio state outscoring everybody. I mean, the game plan was like, Urban's game plan was Dwayne Haskins. You just need to like make sure we score basically every possession because our defense is going to give up a ton of yards and they're going to give up a lot of points. And they did. I mean, Ohio state was not known for their defense at all. And they were saved that year from their offense specifically. So part of me wonders, you know, was Alex Grinch really the issue? Was Greg Schiano really the issue? I felt like Schiano was more of an issue when I was there I still wasn't really impressed with him even after Alex left, but looking at what Alex has done, I think a big thing is like, how is he recruiting? Like you said, I think some of the young guys look decent. I think, again, this is not like change overnight either. It's going to take some time, especially when you bring a new guy in. So I don't think we, you know, call for his firing or his job or anything like that. I think it has to get a lot worse Uh, I know that sounds weird considering what we've seen the last two games with them, but I will say you do have to give some credit. I know it's hard, but you have to give some credit to Matt Campbell and Iowa State because their offense, that team has been kind of knocking at the door ever since he took over the program there. They have Brock Purdy back uh, as quarterback. I mean, he has experience. They played OU very close last year in Norman if everyone remembers that one. I mean, they almost lost. In fact, they could have, except Brock Purdy threw to the wrong target in the end zone at the end on the two-point conversion. So I think – I don't think Alex Grinch is a hack. I think he can turn this team around. I think the biggest thing is he has the attention of his defense. I think it's just really – at this point, it's almost like I think you have to give other guys a shot that maybe they don't practice as well as they play, or maybe you see some guys looking really good in practice and it's not showing up on Saturdays, but I think they need like a revamp of some personnel because what's it going to hurt at this point? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because it's actually something I wanted to get into just basically the whole idea of like the, the easiest, the low hanging fruit are people saying bench Buki Radley Hiles so you can play some of the younger guys. We'll get to that in a second, but kind of wanted to stick one more, a little bit longer on the Ohio State thing with Alex Grinch because I might get my timelines mixed up. Uh, Grinch, and we kind of ripped on this before we actually started recording, so if you don't know, don't worry. Like We're, we're kind of figuring this out as we go along. But Grinch was brought over to Ohio State 
after Shiano took the Tennessee job and then tennis, like everybody around Tennessee said no, because Shiano was in some uh, was connected to the whole, was he connected to Penn state or was did he get in trouble at Rutgers when he was the head coach? And then he went back to Ohio state. So Grinch was kind of just brought in to maybe like, well, if Shiano's going to be looking for another head coaching job, you need somebody to kind of take the job when he leaves. And so to me, that's whenever you have co-coordinators, it just doesn't seem like a winning situation. Like who, whose voice is resonating in that room? Um, whose philosophy is really taking place? Like, OU dealt with that with co-offensive coordinators in the early part of the decade under Stoops with Jay Norville and Josh Heupel. And there were some successes, but overall it didn't age well. Yeah, I think to your point, I, it's like too many cooks in the kitchen. It's hard yeah. to have, yeah, that co-defensive coordinator or any yeah, co-offensive coordinator, whatever it is, it's hard to have that. And I think when you look at Ohio State, I will tell you that year, uh, all of our interviews when it came to post-game with the defense was with Shiano. So even in the spring, I do remember, because um, I was working in Toledo at that time, uh, and it's a big 50-50 Michigan-Ohio State battleground city area. Um, but we have a lot of talent that goes to both schools, high school-wise, that came out of there. And so anyway, I would even go down for spring games or practices and ask about some of the local guys from Toledo down there. And every time it was, you know, asking about the secondary, we had a lot of guys that were linebackers or whatever. It was always Shiano that was brought into that room to talk when I would go down and cover. Um, so I felt like I don't think you're wrong in saying that it was kind of a I think it is a mixed bag and that could be a lot of the issues Ohio State faced too. It's like, okay, who's really in charge or, you know, their philosophies I think are very different. I will say like, again, I don't have a bad thing to say about Alex Grinch as a coach or person. Like when he talks in press conferences, I feel like I could run through a wall. Like, oh, I yeah. think, I mean, he's amazing. I think we all agree with that as far as just how he is, he's a motivator. I think he has the respect, like I said before, but I think it's just figuring out that identity. And I, and I, again, I know a lot of programs are in on this. So I hate saying this as an excuse, because at the end of the day, you got to figure it out, but not having a spring, I think really hurt coming. Cause I felt like they gained so much momentum last season. I know it was kind of an up and down and there were a lot of games towards the end. Brady, you mentioned like the big 12 championship. I mean, they've won a lot of these games by kind of the skin of their teeth. Um, but they did win some thanks to the defense. So I thought the defense was rolling in a good direction. I think what stinks is the fact that they lost a huge leader in Kenneth Murray. Then they don't have a spring. Then they have a shortened, you know, fall preseason summer camp to get ready for this year and you have some new faces out there, but again, the faces that we're seeing time and time again are still making the mistakes that we saw last year. And you mentioned Buki and I know we'll get to that <laughs> at some point, but um, I agree with that. I mean, you gotta, that has to get fixed in some way, shape or form. Uh, it's OU Texas week, but it sure doesn't feel like it whatsoever because everything sucks but it kind of does now really does it i mean i'm, I'm hearing not lincoln i'm not excited hearing lincoln talk about it pumped me up just a little bit pumped you up because if you think about the ramifications of the game on saturday they're large very large well i think it's easy to say this 
Um, by the way, Brady Trantham here with Keegan Renault, and uh, thank you for listening to a little bit of a taste of my conversation with Danielle Dwyer from OKC's Fox 25. Um, probably just put about 20 to 30 minutes of that conversation on this podcast for free. If you want the full conversation, you can watch or listen to it on our Patreon page. It's just on the $4 per month tier. And Keegan just finished his film breakdown of the Iowa State game, or do you still have some? Still working still in the working second half, yeah. But there's a Freaking of, Patreon. Yeah, Patreon was, uh, there was some Russian interference, apparently, with Unbelievable. Patreon. Unbelievable. Uh, so Keegan was a little bit, unf- uh, not not because of him, but was just a little slow to finish it up, but he will finish it up later on today. Uh, but that's, most of the first half is all there for you to enjoy for the $5 per month. But yeah, the full conversation with Danielle Dwyer and I can be seen on Patreon. But yes, uh, Keegan Renault, Soonerswire.com, powered by USA Today. I will say this for the OU Texas game. It, it seems like this game is one of those games where the loser will fire somebody. And I, I feel that less likely even if OU loses just because there's really no need to fire anybody. No. But more so because if OU, if Texas loses, well, Tom Herman's just going to fire somebody, right? Because it's never his fault. They're they're in a <laughs> peculiar situation, I'll tell you this. Obviously, from talking to people down at Texas, they don't feel as if Tom's going to get fired no matter what because his buyout is so high, and Texas was hit really hard. They, you know, they Texas relies on a lot of money from the Olympic sports um, as well, and obviously with those being impacted this year, not gonna. Tom's probably not going to get fired. However, I'll say this about Texas. Have you seen what their future schedule looks like coming up? Um, is it as tough as OU's October? I'm not talking about 2020. I'm talking future schedule, like 2021, 2022. No, I mean, there. Did LSU get rescheduled to next year or no? No. What is? Who do they have? So this is just for the next through 2025. Well, we'll go through 2026. 2027, because we know how long it takes to build up programs. They go to Arkansas next year. That's not guaranteed. They have Alabama in 2022-2023. They have Michigan in 2024. Oh, who cares? They have Ohio State in 2025 and 2026. So... Does Vince Young have a son that's they, in middle school right now? They are, Obviously, they've got Quinn Ewers coming in, but this is all back to the conversation of... Texas is playing a dangerous game here. And I know I said this about Oklahoma, and I feel like Oklahoma is also playing a dangerous game from a national perspective. If Tom Herman, if they have to go wholesale changes again, and they're now, they reset themselves another four years from being competitive at a national level, you've got Alabama coming up. Oklahoma's not going to go anywhere. At least I think that's the prevailing thought right now. I mean, that can change. Talent's young. Recruiting classes or recruiting class this year is going to be top five unless disaster strikes, of yeah. course. But yeah, OU's not. This is a hiccup. So, but I will say, and you you heard me say this, and you know, and this is why I think this finally kind of feels like OU Texas to me. And you hear Lincoln talking about the game and Creed and Charleston Rambo, obviously, you know, few words that comes out of him. But yeah, it they are in a very peculiar situation to where. All the momentum on the recruiting trail you've had, that's not going to impact Oklahoma in 2021. But in 2022, you got a five-star defensive back in the state of Oklahoma in Gentry Williams. 
You've got a handful of the top defensive players. 2022 class in the state of Texas is defensively is as good as it's been in a long time. Probably better than it's been in a long time. You lose this game this weekend and you're Oklahoma, you're staring a really bad realization in the face. And this is me repeating something I said after the po- in the postgame show. You want to see a fan base go full fire burning. The only thing Oklahoma's really been able to pride themselves on is Big 12 championships and the recruiting trail. You lose both of those things on Saturday. Yeah, that's a uh, it's gonna be a tough game. I'm not saying you know Oklahoma's you know down in the dumps or anywhere near close to that because after you know rewatching the game, obviously overreactions, overreactions. A lot of them were warranted though post game, and a lot of things that we said ring true. Um, but the linebackers played really well. They just didn't make tackles. They like, just didn't do anything spectacular. Yeah, if Deshaun White makes that tackle in Which, the backfield, if Brian Asamoah makes a couple of tackles that I've pointed out on the Patreon, like the conversation is strictly on the secondary. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the sad thing is, you know, just not being spectacular or just doing what whatever the linebackers, however you, the listener, grades the linebacking performance against Iowa State, that is a step or two above what the secondary did. You mm-hmm. know, just being normal, just being average, you know, you know, making some tackles here and there, but not like going out of their way to when the D line was creating a lot of havoc uh, for Brock Purdy. You know, you didn't see a Brian Asamoa, Deshaun White, Brian Mead when he was unfortunately on the field here and there, uh, like coming out, coming off camera and finishing that playoff because that's what you want. When your D line is creating pressure, you need, you know, either your rush in to catch up to the quarterback or a linebacker to come off camera and just finish the play off. But that didn't happen. But at the same time, the linebackers didn't linebackers didn't have unforgivable play after unforgivable play like the secondary did. I mean, we'll get into that in a little bit because, like, one more thing on Texas before we get into the meat of the show here. I thought this back when, they, when Mac Brown was fired – with the available coaches that were all out there. And this is going to sound weird because of what Texas eventually became. But my uncle is a, you know, he's from Tal, he's from Dallas. He's a huge Texas fan. And so we'll talk off and on about OU Texas. And I told him at the time, look, I hope they hire someone else that isn't Charlie strong because I had a lot of respect for Charlie strong. I thought that's what they need is they need someone like that to put, some type of physical culture into Austin. Because even when Texas was great under Mac Brown, they were great because they just had so much talent across the board, but they were never really an overtly physical squad. They had good secondaries, Earl Thomas and those guys. Um, oh, God, what was his name? Aaron something. He dr- played for the uh, Raiders in the mid-2000s. Uh, but I just never really thought of them as an overt physical program and Charlie Strong I thought if they hire him he's going to bring that caliber of player to Texas and in fact he did despite the results overall those games OU Texas under when Charlie Strong was was the coach at Texas Texas was always the more physical program and the players that have that were recruited by Charlie Strong that are I don't even know if they're even still there there's probably a few players there because early on in Tom Herman's career Texas, you could argue, was the more physical team because they were in OU Texas games where OU should have blown out Texas and OU found themselves in a dogfight or they lost. So fortunately for OU fans, Texas, I mean, 
I don't want to get into this, but they they gave Charlie Strong a much shorter leash <laughs> than they've given Tom Herman. It's as if they they so badly want Tom Herman to be the guy, and he's not. It's as if they so badly want Sam Ellinger to be the quarterback to bring them back to prominence, but he isn't. However, Keegan, on Saturday, I have no doubt Sam Ellinger is going to look great. Tom Herman, whatever he dials up, is going to work. And it's going to be what we've seen against Kansas State and Iowa State. It's going to be a dogfight, and it's going to come down to can OU make one or two fewer mistakes than they've than the five or ten plays they made against Kansas State, Iowa State. Can they make, instead of five to ten, can they make three to eight mistakes? And if they do, then OU will have a much better chance to win. For sure. They, you know, you enter a situation this week against a Texas team that from an offensive schematic standpoint, they have everything that they need to be able to win this football game. It's going to come down to Tom Herman swallowing his pride. I said this a year ago. You remember me saying this. Tom Herman thought that they could just walk out there and beat Oklahoma like they did in 2018. They were the more physical football team. They were the more assignment sound football team. But this year they're not. And that it's not even close. Now, I think there's a lot of things to be made, uh, a lot of you know comments to be made about Sam Ellinger playing in this game before. But this all comes down to the coordinator matchup. This is the last year. It was very apparent that Alex Grinch was better than Tom Herman and uh, Tim Beck, and Lincoln Riley was obviously head and shoulders better than Todd Orlando. And they took advantage of that, and Jalen Hurts tried to give it away, but that's a conversation. Defense and CeeDee Lamb won them that game yes. last year. And uh, so, no, you're looking at a situation that I will say this. If you go look at the last two years in the tackling issue at Oklahoma, it's really been in two games, Brees Hall in 2019 and Brees Hall in 2020. And it's is it, how much credit do you give to Brees Hall for that? I don't know. I don't know if Oklahoma's making him out to be... Here, here's why I wouldn't give it to... I, I don't mean to cut you off, but because I just don't want to get far too far down this rabbit hole. Brees Hall's a fine player. The reason why I won't give him all the credit is because is he going to do this next week? Is he going to do it the following week? No, he's not, because he's not playing an undisciplined group of guys who, over the course of two or three years, have proven that they just can't f***ing tackle. That's why I, like, I don't want to be pessimistic. I'm not doing it on purpose. I'm sure as we get closer to the Texas game... I will talk myself into OU beating Texas because I'm an OU fan. But as it stands right now, I don't expect the secondary to just ball hawk all of a sudden or tackle once they get their get the guy down like in front of them. I don't expect any of that shit because why should I? I mean, they did it a year ago against Texas. Because of so much else. Like the Ronnie Perkins, Jalen Redmond's pressure. Not only did they create pressure for Sam Ellinger, he's slower than Brock Purdy, so they were able to get home. Sure. And then Kenneth Murray was a f***ing missile that game. Yeah. And then the secondary was just less on an island. And like you pointed out to me last year, because you were still kind of on the Sam Ellinger train. I'm not I'm not here to, like, you know, bash oh, you on I'm that. Oh, I'm way off that train at uh, this point. But you pointed out to me last year, Sam Ellinger missed a lot of guys. Wide open guys. Uh, there was even one play where Trey Brown is credited with a pass breakup. He did nothing. He just he did nothing. Sure. The, the receiver, was it Brennan Eagles, I think just straight dropped it. And I th- oh, there I were would, a lot of drops in that Texas yeah, game as well. But I Sam. would, but I would credit that to the fact that from 
kickoff, OU dialed up so much pressure that Sam Ellinger probably felt a little rushed, probably felt a little pressure that may or may not have been there, and that's how you win football games. I mean, that's why OU was, wasn't able to move the football in the second half against Kansas State is because Spencer Rattler felt pressure that wasn't there because of the pressure that Kansas State was able to, to get. You don't always have to sack the guy. It would have helped out against Iowa State because OU was getting pressure oh, Purdy constantly. was running for his life exactly. again. So was Skylar Thompson. And it didn't matter because the secondary just was so awful. So you hope Ronnie Perkins coming back on the, Saturday. The biggest difference in the Kansas State game and the Iowa State game was that Buki made those tackles. The, Exa- yeah, good it, call. And the, the biggest difference, and I'll say this, and I'll credit Lincoln, and a lot of people are talking about the simple fixes and like close to being where they want to be. Is that What kind of close is that? I'm sure we'll get into that as the show goes on. But this is a great quote from Lincoln today about the tackling. Um, so much of what we see is not necessarily guys out of position. Alex Grinch, you get a good golden star for that. <laughs> um, but guys just kind of coming in out of control. It's a fine line. To be a great tackler, you have to, uh, you've got to know when to have patience and you've got to know when to have aggression because if you're too patient, guys will just go around you. But if you're too aggressive, like we were many times against Iowa State, a good player is going to make you miss. Yeah. And, and that's fine. A, and I, and I, I appreciate that honesty. It's a lot better than just guys have to make plays. The touchdown on Jaden Davis, that's a, that's a football player making a play. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't – I'm not at the point. I'm no. We'll get into the you know wholesale changes and this and that. I'm not at the point where like let's just burn this whole secondary down and just bring five new guys in. There's two guys in Turner Yell and I know he missed one two tackles I think um, against Iowa State that were one of them was pretty glaring where Brees Hall just spun right off of him. But like there's a reason they're not throwing Jane Davis's way. There was a reason last year people tried to attack Jaden Davis and he made plays. Yeah. There's a reason against Kansas State they didn't attack Jaden Davis. And so you, you get talking about, you know, this team in general. One, I know Lincoln talked a lot about the offensive line. I asked him specifically about it today. And, you know, there is some credit to go to Iowa State. I mean, they were – they t- every blitz, run blitz, or pat or blitz in the past, they nailed. I mean, yeah, boundary, <laughs> boundary corners coming in. It's it's tough to be able to pick that up if and, it, and they timed it well. Like they got on one of the running plays that had a huge open lane, like the boundary corner from Iowa State, like came in and on a heat seeking missile and just cut Seth McGowan down. There was another play action pass where like Spencer, you know, did the play action and the corner was there. However, this goes into my whole conversation about Spencer from Saturday. That's he was dead to rights for a six seven yard sack. Makes the corner miss. Gets back to the line of scrimmage. Oklahoma's still in the third and six. So, um, but to the you know point of the conversation and everything, they've you know this is you know you look at Texas. I don't see the tackling, and I said this to some people this week. I don't see the tackling, the missed tackling, and that issue continuing for another week or even maybe for the rest of the season. And that's not me crediting Brees Hall. It's not me crediting anybody. It's just. It hasn't really been a huge issue under Grinch. But if it does persist through this week, then that's on Grinch. Because this is a conversation of, we're not talking about his players. We're not talking about Mike Stoops' players. We're talking about fundamental uh, fundamentals of the game. If there's anything that you can fix that's not Mike Stoops' fault, that's not the pass regime's fault, is that you these guys should be fundamentally sound. They should be able to make tackles. And yeah. if that happens this week... 
then for sure, like that is a conversation we have to start having about Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley today was asked about it. And I'm, this will be the last thing I say. He was asked about being too focused on takeaways. And this was a quote. That's a very fair point And one that we've really been emphasizing with our guys. I don't doubt uh, at all that there's some correlation there. No question about it. And guys have got, have got to understand where the turnovers come from. I don't know. Like, I don't know if that's the case. I mean, look, if OU goes out against Texas and we're talking about missed tackle after missed tackle, I don't even know if I'd even go down the rabbit hole of what you just er- said earlier about, okay, we need to start questioning Grinch because if Nick Benito, Isaiah Thomas, um, Asamoa, and Sean White are missing tackles, sure, then we can question Alex Grinch. They, they did against Iowa State. Did they miss them to the extent that the secondary missed? That two guys specifically, yes. Pat Fields and Buki. Because that's where the game was lost. According to Pro Football Focus, I ten of you the, know this, li- no, just listen. Ten of the fifteen missed tackles were from both. Sixty-six percent of them were from Buki and Pat Fields, and that's where the game was lost. Yep. Look, you're not Lincoln. I think even said it in that answer. Like you're not always going to tackle the guy. Like the guy on the other side of the of the field is going to make a play or two, and that's fine. That's why the Jaden Davis touchdown. I don't. When I think about the BS that was the Iowa State game, that's the last play that comes to mind, even though that was Bryce Purdy's only touchdown that he threw that game. That was the only touchdown yeah, he threw. Oklahoma played really good against them. Exactly. Like Sometimes the other team is going to make a play, and Texas is talented enough that they're going to score and they're going to make plays. It's just who is not performing and how does it look. So, yeah, Deshaun White, Brian Esmoa, the D-line, they're going to miss some tackles. And that's fine because it's football. It's a chaotic God, they sport. Played, uh, you, yeah, I'm not, you've seen some of the clips I've put on the Patreon. Yeah. Oh, they played. They looked like Kenneth Murray out there. If they would have made the plays, we would have had that conversation. Yeah. But that's why I'm not going to go full on this is Alex Grinch's fault because it's, it's the same guys who are making the most crucial mistakes and so the reason why I'm not going to blame it all on the philosophy of you got to create turnovers is because that's the only way that if the secondary and the two or three players in particular are going to continuously make the same mistakes that they've made their entire careers, that they make them on Saturday, you can undo all that if someone just simply catches a, a ball and intercepts it. And just like Skylar Thompson and Bryce Purdy, Sam Ellinger is going to give OU a chance here and there with some bad passes. Oh, yeah. So, Trey Norwood, Trey Brown, Pat Fields, they can miss tackles. They can hold a guy that is out of the play and turn a third and ten that was an incomplete pass into a first down, you know, new set of downs. They can do that all they want. But if they just catch a Sam Ellinger pass, it it undoes does all that Mm -hmm. so i appreciate the emphasis on turnovers because that's the only way that you can counterbalance the suck that is mike stoops's players on this defense i'm sorry like i don't want to be a broken record but that's it yeah um i do want to say in in this realm of this conversation i think it's important to say that lsu gave oklahoma the blueprint a year ago for how to win a how to win a national championship with this style of playing see i there's been a lot of talk about physicality now, if you want to have a talk about the offensive line and physicality, I think that's a very real conversation that you can yeah. have. Now, just in general, though, like, like Isaiah Thomas is 
beating people. Like Nick Benito, holy Nick Benito cow. looked awesome against Iowa State. I mean, every time John Michael Terry was too, and he was a player last year that I I really liked. He he set the edge, and mm-hmm. then he got hurt, and then it took a, OU a few games to kind of rebound from that. And I, I want to read this quote because I think it's important from the press conference again today. Um, a lot of talk about the freshmen playing this and that. Um, we've gotten some flack back. I haven't showed you it about the uh, comments of uh, freshmen needing time to develop behind the scenes and and then making sure that they're ready to be played. I don't understand why, what the problem is with that. You look at Ohio state, they have, you know, you you look at the DBs that they had drafted in consecutive years. I'm trying to think of the safety hooker. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he sat for two years. He watched really good players play in front of him. He developed behind the scenes and then plays for one year and becomes a first-round draft pick. So here, here's what Lincoln said today about the freshmen um, and, and COVID. Yeah, I think we're getting close. There's honestly a number of guys at a number of positions that you hoped would be able to help you by now, and I think in a normal year would be helping us by now. Some of those guys, like you said, knocked out with COVID for 10, 14, 28 days, and that combined with the offseason being a little different. And those guys that were here in the spring missing all of spring ball, I mean, there's just the development of those guys has been different. And so there's certainly a lot of talent there. We're pushing like crazy to get those guys ready to play because you've got to take that talent and still got to run the calls and execute and go do it. And so I certainly think we're getting close and those guys are getting better and giving us more and more reason to want to put them on the field. I mean, d- does he not speak to exactly what we were talking about? Yeah. And that's, that's, the, that, and that's my biggest thing is like, why would you throw Bryson Washington in there if he's going to have a mental lapse in a game? And then people like Brady Trantham go on Twitter and trash him for three I, hours. I, I'm not I saying would you not, would. Sure. I'm joking. I tra- I only trash players when they've done it for <laughs> their upperclassmen and they've I, been doing it over and over to I, the point where it's like, this isn't rude. It's not rude. It's just pointing out the obvious. No, uh, you get what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not I'm in jo- college anymore. I'm, jo- I'm, joking. <laughs> I'm joking around. But uh, Shout out RJ Washington, the only player that I've ever added and trashed. Did you really? Cotton Bowl 2012, yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, I was, I was 20... One twenty-two years right, old, so for yeah. sure. Uh, Un- unfortunately for me, I I don't know, you know how how much else you know you can say about that because again, you're in a situation to where you've got guys that are better, you know that they are better, but Pat Fields can handle the criticism, and I'm not saying that that's a guy that needs to be out on the field a lot. That's not what I'm saying at all because I've I'm, I I've think I've said in both my game grades takeaways from the game why Oklahoma lost, that something has to give there. This was a guy that was solid a year ago. He doesn't make any flash plays. I'm not going to say the whole game was on him and Buki, but it kind of was. It, it was. And, I mean, just going from the post-game comments that Pat Field says, I mean, Danielle and I talked about that ad nauseum. Like, there's a problem when your captain says something like, well, we're just not tall enough. What do you expect us to do? Like, that's that's a problem. And then the other thing is, and I was saying this during the game, uh, watching with you over at the studio, that's a captain dropping those gimme interceptions. That's mm. a ca- that's yep. your captain. Patrick Fields is, you know, he's it's not all on him, like you said, but you need your captain to make that one play, that one random play that mm-hmm. flips the script for you, no. and it doesn't happen. Like it could have the OU Texas game last year is a perfect example. That game could have been a loss so easily for OU, even with CeeDee Lamb going off on them for three touchdowns. If Kenneth Murray doesn't make a few plays here and there, OU probably loses that game. But that's their captain making a play. Sure. I was going to say, like, you know, if you look at a year ago, 
two of the probably five best players on the defense, Pat Fields and Buki Radley Hiles. It we got the entire Buki Radley Hiles experience already in 2020. Yeah, you got the best game of his career in 2020 in his career, and he also got the worst game of his career in back-to-back weeks. Um, so I know we'll get into wholesale changes and you know things that I see and and whatnot, but yeah, I mean you're. Oklahoma's at a crossroads here. They really are, and I'm not. I I don't get how you can be blind to that. Uh, you, you go 0 and three, and then you're going to go on the road to TCU, and you think Oklahoma's going to go down there and stop Max Duggan. You you think they're going to go down there? People think they're going to go down there and be able to tackle Max Duggan because they're not. I mean, Max Duggan ran all over Oklahoma a year ago. Yeah. And um, now, granted, I know a lot of it came on one play, but I mean, he was making guys miss last year, so. You know, you're at a crossroads here. You go, oh, and you lose to Texas, you're going to lose to TCU. And you're also at a point where if you lose this game, how can you keep that locker room with COVID going on, with social injustice stuff going on, um, all those things? How can you keep this locker room focused whenever the games don't mean anything anymore? And that's the, you know, we like we, we talked about this in the offseason. Like, if you look at 2014, it just waterfalled. I mean, they go. They lose to TCU in a close game. Very good football game. Trevor Knight played like crap. crap. Um, you know, you go beat Texas in a very ugly. That was o- the, the worst OU Texas game that OU's ever won that I've seen. Oh, for sure. And and then they, it just goes downhill from there. I mean, you lose Kansas State at home against an average Kansas State team that year. I believe they were, you know, eight, nine win team. Um, so yeah, Tyler Lockett and then OU missed two oh, field goals and an extra point. Yeah, they lost Mike, by one point. Michael Honeycutt. I man. became so intimate with a bottle of Jack Daniels that day. <laughs> I was in the I was in the north end zone. I saw both those field goals. I, I was I was coming there, right at me. I was there too. I went back to the tailgate after OU had lost, and you know it was a 11 a.m. kick, of course. And I just kind of looked at my dad. We were both kind of shocked, and I was like, "I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the bar," and because usually I'll stay at the tailgate with my dad my friends and family and I'll help tear down. But I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go to the bar. And I went to the bar during the day and I didn't leave until nighttime. And it was a, uh, it was a bad next few days. Let's just say. Yeah. And so I, I do want to react, you know, a little bit on this Iowa state, the Oklahoma offensive line did block better. Like I, I want to say that like up front, like Lincoln and everybody that spoke about it is right. They have blocked better. But the problem that they're having is that they're not mauling anybody. They're not moving anybody. They're, I know I already showed one clip um, on the Patreon. And I, there's a couple more I'm going to show during this game to where like that goal line stand that Iowa State made, Like, why is Iowa State's defensive line being able to blow Creed Humphrey and Marquise Hayes off the football? Like, why? That should never happen. And then that's – Was Swenson on that? Swenson was in, but he wasn't a big part I, of that. Uh, but hey, hey I mean the, it's Harrison. The, it's I'll the principle say this, of the matter. I'll say this: I thought Swenson looked better against Iowa State than Harrison did. Now, long term, that's there's no ifs or buts about it. Anton Harrison's going to be a dude, dude. But you're looking at a situation up in Ames to where you know Lincoln talked today about you know running backs, young running backs, this and that. It's like okay, yeah, like Trey Sermon was a young running back, and so was Kennedy Brooks at one point. They didn't have to run through. They didn't have to have the greatest vision. They didn't have to run through these tight holes that yeah. these running backs are running through. It's completely different. You know, you hold this offensive line, and, you know, Lincoln even said today, 
no, they, they there is a different standard. There may be even a bigger standard on offensive line play at the University of Oklahoma than quarterback play at this point. You can take what Jalen Hurts gave you a year ago outside of the horrid interceptions and fumbles. You take that and you run with it. There's not another program in the country um, outside of three or four last year that doesn't take what Jalen Hurts did at Oklahoma. But the offensive line, how do I say this? And this, you, people, you're going to go, Keegan, what are you saying? You don't believe this. I mean, you've got a three-star left tackle, a walk-on center, a nobody junior college guy, and then two four-stars in 2017, and they murdered people. These guys were much highly recruited. They look like they should be a lot better. Oh, yeah. And they're not getting it done. And Lincoln was like, you know, full faith in Bull Beedmo to get it done. Absolutely. But the problem is, is that in a short season like this, like you've got to be able to put the pieces puzzle pieces together a lot quicker. Now, I would be shocked if we don't hear anything on Chris Murray by the end of the week. I'm just gonna throw that tidbit out there. Yeah. Um, and I hope so. I mean, what what the hell else are they doing? I've basically? got I've got seven games of tape of Chris Murray now from 2019 and Brady Trantham. Oh my God. Uh, well, whose spot does he take? Right guard. Right guard. So I think Hayes is fine. Hayes is fine. Hayes performed a lot better. And I, someone posted a clip from the post game where you're like, I'm done with him. Yeah. Hayes, uh, Hayes is fine. Hayes, Hayes took a huge step from Kansas State to Iowa State. The right, I, they're not getting anything out of the out of Tyrese Robinson right now. Yeah, like the goal line stand, um, it is what it is. But more to the point of what you're actually talking about, like how are they getting mauled at the point of attack? To me, it really re- it started to remind me of the. I mean, was it 2011, 2012 when the Beldo- Belldozer debuted? Because OU was having so much trouble in short yardage situations, whether it was third and short, fourth and one, or you get on the goal line, and then Bel- uh, Blake Bell would come out there. It's starting to remind me of that. Mm-hmm. And with with those offensive lines, it was because Bob would just take here. Here's a tight end. I'm going to have him eat a lot and he's going to be our left guard or our center. Like there were a lot, there was a lot of guys on those offensive lines that were converted into offensive line. I mean, even Lane Johnson and Lane Johnson's the, not a good example of this because Lane Johnson's one of the best right tackles in the NFL right now. He's made a great career, but that's another guy that was converted. This offensive line, like you said, has highly recruited guys that everybody in the country wanted. It has guys that even look the part. Creed Humphrey is a guy that a lot of people thought going into the season was going to be a uh, the know, first Remington late first rounder, the first Remington Award winner yeah. at Oklahoma. Yeah, a guy that's going to be an All American. And look, with the way that those awards get handed out, if OU just kind of backdoors their way into a Big Twelve Championship, Creed Humphrey is going to be an All American. Even though, like, if you like watched him all year long, it's like, eh, was he? But I, I just can't put my finger on it. And to those that would say, like, maybe there's a lot to do with like conditioning on the offensive line. I mean, sure that that might play a part in it, but at, by this point, if everybody starts, you know, that has started the first two games on the offensive line. And then, you know, if Swenson's out there, like whatever, but by this point you've had three or four weeks of practice. These guys haven't been in quarantine. Their conditioning should be near where, where it should be going into Texas. So that shouldn't be a problem, but at the same time, Texas D line's going to, do a lot of the same things Iowa State's was able to, and they're more talented. Yeah, Iowa State is unique, and I know we've talked about that, and I've talked to you about it for two to three years, especially in the running game, because you've got to account for safeties coming downhill. 
there were a lot of runs that could have popped. And Iowa State's just Greg Eisworth, by the way, guy that Oklahoma recruited out of high school, went to Ole Miss, went to junior college. Oklahoma kind of tried to recruit him out of junior college. That guy, I mean, who was the la- – <laughs> I don't want people to take this the wrong way. Who was the last really good white defensive back in the – Eric Weddle from – In in like the NFL. Ever? In the NFL. Like last, like really good white defensive the, back. Who's the dude from Minnesota? Oh, yeah, he's really good too. Their safety. Yeah, yeah. Um, but him and Weddle for sure. Like Greg Eisworth's a dude. Like yeah. he killed so many of Oklahoma's really good pass concepts – by just bailing out of his responsibility to go cover a guy. There was a, a lot of, you know, Oklahoma's problems offensively that can be credited to what Iowa State was doing. And we talked about that, that John Heacock and his defense, they would be up for the challenge and they'd be uh, they'd fixed a lot of their problems. And uh sure they sh- they still should have lost by 14 points. Oh, no, I agree, but I'm just I'm just pointing out the fact that like the running game against Iowa State is is a lot to do with Oklahoma. But there is a lot that Iowa State did that limited what they were able to do. To your point about Texas, they don't have the DBs that do that. Like they don't, they don't this, they don't that. Um, you know, I said this on Saturday. The over under in this game's not can't be high enough. It's I think it's seventy <laughs> for an OU Texas game. Yeah. Um, oh, it's pillow fight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, it's going to be interesting. No, I, I do want to get into this though. I, have you rewatched the game? Iowa State? Yes. Um I watched like the first quarter and then I turned it off. I, I might do it on I might do it today or tomorrow. I don't know. Spencer Rattler. Oh, he's, holy, he's great. Holy cow. Like Lincoln even alluded to it a little bit today and you heard you heard me say this last year behind stuff that was being said behind the scenes about him, you know, Mahomes like arm, but that he was at mentally at a point last year that Kyler was never at behind Baker from understanding the offense, what they're trying to do, this and that. And Lincoln alluded to that today. This kid, everybody asked, you know, has talked about you know him not being able to handle adversity, not a leader, not this, not that. I don't know if the leader concept, the leader thing is still there. He took some hits. He bounced back. He held on he to the football. He made throw yeah. after throw after throw. Um, two really bad decisions. One of them should have been picked off. The other one was. Or he forced it into, who was Jeremiah it? Hall. Jeremiah Hall. Yeah. Like, he threw it across his body. No, it was in the pocket. He just, oh, yeah, he yeah, just didn't right. see the... Now, I, I do, you know, that's to Jeremiah Hall not being a receiver and not doing this for very long. Like, there was a zone for him to sit in. He should have sat down in it. Should have been able to make a throw. And Spencer, But Spencer should have never made that throw anyways. There was a linebacker in front of him against a good defense. I came away from that game... You know, you, and this is a great, I think, great transition to OU Texas. The how you win OU Texas, that's it, the head coaching matchup, the coordinator matchups, and how good the quarterbacks play. And if you can run the football. Yeah. Those those four things. I think Spencer Rattler at this point can go pound for pound with Sam Ellinger in a game, no matter how much experience Sam Ellinger has in an OU Texas game. Oh, yeah. Like, look, it's going to be a di- much different Cotton Bowl. It's not full capacity. And we we were talking about this before we went on, Keegan. We've seen great quarterbacks on both sides. They make one mistake, and all of a sudden, that pressure, the, the noise, the atmosphere, everything that goes into OU Texas starts to snowball on you, and you start to hear footsteps that aren't there. You start to press. You start to make quicker decisions, and you don't. You're not relaxed and settled in the game because it's OU Texas. Like it, it 
It's huge. Baker 2015, Kyler 2018, they both struggled. Yeah. Um, that's going to be a good thing for Spencer Rattler that he doesn't have to experience that for his first OU Texas game. It's still a big game. Texas is when, when they're making plays, they're going to be humming. They're going to be letting OU know about it and, say, and vice versa for OU. Uh, Sam Ellinger has the experience advantage over Spencer Rattler. But to me, like, yeah, Spencer Rattler could go out there and fumble and throw two or three interceptions, and it's just like, well, what just happened? You know, like, that, that's, of course, on the table. But that's not what I'm expecting. What I'm expecting, though, is the secondary to do nothing different unless God looks down on OU and pities them, and they catch a, they catch a ball that Sam Ellinger throws directly to them. But if the secondary goes out there and does basically chalk, and the defense basically does chalk, which, you know, the D-line has shown us a lot of promise, and they're more than likely getting Ronnie Perkins back. I mean, I don't know what I want to, what you want to believe. I, I mean, what a get, joke! It, it's a gigantic joke. I, I'm I'm expecting Ronnie Perkins to. Play. I'm expecting Ronnie Perkins to play on Saturday. Yeah, he's not in Ames if he's not playing against uh, the following week. So if the defense just gives us chalk, Spencer Rattler cannot make one mistake, one mistake, and that's that's the problem because Kyler and Baker make a mis- they make a handful of mistakes a game. When when their offenses were humming, Spencer, his interception to end the game, I don't care. I don't care about that. You want to know why? Because he was in a situation where he felt like, I have to make this f-ing play because like we shouldn't be in this situation. We should be up 7, 10, 14 points right now. But no, I've got to make a play. His winning moment was the rollout. He gets forced flush out of the pocket. Outside of Baker's throw to Dimitri Flowers in the Rose Bowl probably makes the best throw that we've seen a quarterback at Oklahoma make. Um, and my it's not since Sam um, in 2018 uh, or 20, 2018, 2008, that was his winning moment. Like that should have won them the football game. And then you, you mentioned the, I'm not going to get into if ands or butts, but that was a touchdown to Obi Obiala based on the rules. Okay, yeah, so let's let's set this up. This was on the first drive. No, not on the first drive. Uh, so it's three nothing. I I believe so. I'd have to I'd ha- I have it on my phone. Um but yeah. Uh yeah, it was the touchdown or the incompletion. Uh Spencer found Obi 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 is it Obi Obi Allo? Is that how you say his name? Because I don't want to keep saying yes. it. Obi Obi Allo in the back of the end zone. And he got his tippy toes down first in bounds, and then his heel, like as he was coming back down to earth fully, his heel hit out of bounds. And it was ruled incomplete. Um, I forgot that it was reviewed. Uh, Keegan, you reminded me. And it was reviewed. Ultimately, it was an uh, uh, incompletion. The best way I can describe it is I've always kind of felt like I thought that it was going to be ruled incomplete too because his heel hit out of bounds. And your argument is as soon as his toes hit inbounds and he has possession of the ball and he did like it's dead ball it's like it's touchdown like it, nothing else matters but I've always kind of seen plays like that where if you're going out of bounds and your heels drag inbounds it's a touchdown because mm-hmm. of, at some point your foot does go out of bounds because your your momentum is carrying you out I've always viewed this where your, your toes hit first but then your heel hits out of bounds as not the same thing I feel like I've seen a handful of times watching football over the years where that same type of play is always ruled incomplete. Now, the you said you looked up the rule book and that it should have been a touchdown, but I mean. for sure, yeah. And but my whole point is, is 
oh my god, what a throw! Like, that throw, the second almost Ob touchdown, mm-hmm. and then the uh, Theo Weiss, which that was that was incredibly disappointing out For of sure. Theo. Um, but yeah, in the in the realm of the rule book, it doesn't say anything about heel foot. Um, it just says if any part of your body touches the ground, in in bounds, then it's a catch. Yeah. Um, and then I even looked up the you know out of bounds rules, and there's nothing about it either. So and it, there and there needs to be because I I think the reason why is just because they just assume that oh his foot would hit inbounds and out of bounds simultaneously because you're just coming down flat footed but receivers don't come down flat footed they come down you know with their toes down for sure so yeah no it's uh you know nuts and bolts whatever um the biggest part of this is there was a major hold on the kickoff return on Jeremiah Cordell that they missed as well but. That's here nor there. Should never have been in that situation in the first place. I a thousand percent agree. Um, but you know, if anybody that listens to me knows I, I talk the game of football quite a bit. Kickoff returns don't pop unless one person does their thing wrong, or you know, guy falls, guy gets out of his lane. Oklahoma actually did a really good job. Jeremiah Cradell just got held like a crazy man. He got held, and Brian Me was the last ditch effort guy in the hole, and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Why is Brian Mead on special teams? <laughs> like, now Brian Mead did play pretty good. He okay. He tackled a guy. I remember one play where he tackled a guy. Cool. Why is he still on the field? He's not good enough. Uh, David Aguebu's the other conversation. There was a third down. Iowa State has trips to the Oklahoma side. They just wheel the running back out of the backfield, and Aguebu took the receivers coming in. <laughs> yeah, and carries with them, and. He's just not ready yet. I don't get. Inexpe- I don't inexperience, but we, but we think, and and we're we're thinking this because there are reasons for it. We think Aguayu's going to be a good player. Oh, we, absolutely. We don't think, and we know Brian Mead's never going to be a guy. For sure. So. Yeah. I. But my whole point to that conversation is, why are those guys playing in a road game in Ames? I get that. You know, you need breaks. You need guys to develop in game, but. Those two guys don't – Aguaybu doesn't have the experience against a really good, you know, schemed-up offense. So, um, yeah, you know, before we get really moved on over to Texas, um, you know, just some quick final points from me. I, I, I don't want to say Lincoln's right that they're close because the things that now that they have to fix in a week are things that typically don't get fixed in a week. Um, tackling, first off, I don't expect that to persist – Again, against Texas, Keontae Ingram could wishes he was Brees Hall. And, you know, Sam Ellinger's not the agile guy like Brock Purdy to get out of the pocket. So I don't think those things will persist. But again, the linebackers missed a couple tackles. They need to be better. That's for sure. But they showed things that Kenneth Murray was doing a year ago. Now, obviously, Kenneth Murray became a first-round pick for a reason because he made those plays. Yeah. Um. But the linebackers under Brian Odom are progressing in a pace that they never did under Tim Kish. And the defensive line played well. Um, the offense, from an offensive perspective, like a lot of hate's been coming on the wide receivers. Now, granted, they Ob Obiallo and Dioise had the two biggest drops. The two most important plays of the game, those were drops. I would say it's dropping seven, dropping eight, and Oklahoma sending three guys down in pass skeleton because they're so worried about pass protection. Like, 
that's not conducive to be able to have big plays or success. Or is that why Theo East was like we were watching the game together, and I like I think I asked you, is Theo East hurt? I haven't seen him at all, and literally the first time I saw him in the game was when he had that drop. Mm-hmm. And then kind of part of my brain's going, look, that's a very disappointing play out of Theo East. I expect better, but maybe putting him in the game more and give him some more opportunities so he's not trying to catch the most crucial play of the game mm-hmm. absolutely green. Now, he might have been out there. I just didn't notice him. But I, th- there were times where I was looking for him, and I'm like, where the hell is he? Yeah, he was on the field a lot. Um, I think a lot of it is to the fact that Iowa State just was doing – I mean, their LBs were dropping like 20 yards downfield. I mean, they just were not going to allow Oklahoma to beat them deep, and they haven't ever done that. Um, since Hecock's been in in Ames, so yeah, they you know it's a bunch of tryhards. It, they're he they're he try, can, they're, he not, can they're coach. not winning more than six seven games this year, dude. Come on, they're, Matt they, Campbell they saying coach. all that crap about how like oh we these seniors and you know, what they've done for this program. It's like what have y'all done? You've played OU close. You beat Texas. So has everybody else. Texas sucks. You beat OU randomly. Baker senior year, and then you beat a, a clearly not up to par OU team this year. Congratulations, you guys aren't doing anything else. This will give them a boost in recruiting, though. Cool. If there's if there's anything Oklahoma has done, is they've helped elevate everybody else around them because they can use it. What are what do I call OU? <laughs> the Make a Wish Foundation. <laughs> hey, just play OU, and your your average players will play above their heads. Your uh, OU will give you opportunity after opportunity to just look cool. I mean, that's what OU does. Yeah, they. Uh, no, I, I think Iowa State's got a – they've got a chance. They've got to get uh, some better players in there. They're an okay program. I mean, power to them, they won the game. Cool. Yeah, they, well, I'll say this. Iowa State is who Northwestern wish, Northwestern wishes they could be. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's – they kind of – I mean, they're never going to have the elite athletes. They're never going to have this. They're never going to have that. Um, you know, go win 10 games maybe um, at some point under Matt Campbell before he bounces for the Michigan job when Harbaugh gets fired. Uh, but – they, you know, they're definitely in a, you know, a class in the Big 12 that's not up to snuff. But, you know, I'm sure we'll get into the Big 12. I mean, we, I, mean I told you after the Kansas State loss, like, watch what they do against Texas Tech. They barely beat Texas Tech. Do you think Texas Tech I mean, is good? Skylar Thompson got hurt. So? I mean, Texas Tech almost beat Texas at home. I mean, the Big 12s. I mean, the Big 12 is a joke in general. You, you, it's you, a gigantic right, joke. You want to you talk about, you know, parallels, this and that? Like... Louisiana beats Iowa State. Arkansas State beats Kansas State. Houston Baptist almost beats Texas Tech, and then those programs go and give Oklahoma everything that they want. Like, I mean, that's that's where we're at. And I hate doing parallels. And that's where it's always been. Like I to- I talked about this with Danielle earlier. Like that's where it's always going to be for OU in Texas. OU is in a conference where everybody except for Texas, but even Texas because it's a rivalry game. Everybody in this conference, that's their Super Bowl is playing OU. So Kansas State's going to go lose to Arkansas State, look like absolute shit, and then they're going to put all their little hearts and all their little effort and all their little fundamental crap and have the perfect game plan and put it all out there on the field, you know, for the game of their lives, tell their grandkids about it. All that added to the fact that they have to pray OU gives them opportunity after opportunity. For sure. To just barely be in it in the first place. Oh, absolutely. And that's what, OU, that's what the Big 12 is. It's just a bunch of tryhards. <laughs> it's, it's annoying because 
I have to sit there every Saturday and watch OU play, go up against a team that they're clearly better than. And it's like, what's OU going to do this time to make their insert average Big 12 opponent here look incredible? Mm-hmm. We saw it against Iowa State. Brock Purdy made no mistakes when he, in fact, if you were Iowa State, Keegan Renault, you would be doing your film breakdown going, oh, my God, was he lucky. Yeah, he was really, he was, he is, he just has regressed. super, just absolute luck. Yeah, he was. Skylar Thompson, oh my God, was he lucky. Now, Skylar Thompson did do some good things, but yeah, I mean, he was better than what Brock Purdy was. That's for sure. And that's a, that's an indictment on where Brock Purdy's development is. And watch, Sam Ellinger is going to be lucky because I don't expect Trey Brown to catch a ball. I don't expect him to turn his head around when Sam Ellinger throws that jump ball on third and 12. Yeah, I, and I think if that's a great point to start getting into this. I, I really think they got to go with Woody Washington and Jaden Davis. I mean, I know Woody's young. I know he's inexperienced. But, I mean, Trey Brown's technique is – I mean, it's not even to the point that Jaden Davis is at. Like, well, two points. Like, look at Parnell Motley. Like, Parnell Motley didn't have any trouble with that a year ago. Yeah, two points. One, pro football focus has been very uh, silent on the Trey Brown front. I just wanted to point that out. Number two – I get the reactionary play, the young guys. I feel like Woody has earned it a little bit to this point. Maybe Trey Brown, Trey Nora were destined to be good football players, but them getting thrown into the fire in the middle of a game where it's already like it was Bedlam 2017, and it's already like 55 to 45, everyone's scoring on every play. It's not a good situation to throw an 18, 19-year-old freshman into because sure. what if, if they were supposed to be great players – in their careers, it was shot the moment that Mike and Carrie threw them out there. So just throwing a young guy out there in the middle of a game where your defense is already playing like shit—that's you're you're not setting them up for failure. Or you're setting them up for failure. But I think Woody has earned it because there's nothing really that I've seen that I'm like, well, he doesn't have it. Sure. So sure. He took an awful angle on the uh, double pass, but that's uh, that's I mean, that's not anything new. For, for Oklahoma standard defensively. And, and Iowa State barely executed it. Yeah, they did. I mean, uh, no, I, I obviously with Pat Fields, I don't know what they do there. I don't know who the backup guy is. Um, but obviously if he, you know, is diving at people's ankles again this week, I mean, it's going to be a, a detriment to Oklahoma. Is Cordell just at this point? I don't bust? know if he has the speed. I think that's a bit, that was a you know question coming out of high school. Uh, I don't know. I mean, he's obviously playing on special teams, so he's close. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. I mean, you you think Bryson Washington could play that position, but again, that position is so important at o- in this defense. Um, it was important when Will Johnson played it, uh, and he was obviously he excelled in it. Um, probably about made a career out of it uh, with it. It's so important. You, you're the last line of defense. You've got back. You got you know backside rushing lane. Um, responsibility. You gotta, you gotta be able to come downhill, and make those plays, and. But Bryson Washington, you know, this is a guy that's been in these Zoom meetings now for nine months. You know, he hasn't had the game practice reps or anything like that. But I definitely think that he could be a guy that elevates that position. I just don't know if he mentally, you know, from a mental perspective, is the answer. And I think. You know that speaks volumes to where, the and n- not to say that it's not hard. Like this is this is incredibly hard. What we're asking these young players to do. So like, don't mistake this as oh, we think they're dumb. Like yeah. this is just you don't just walk onto OU, not literally walk on, but you just don't step onto campus and then know what to do for sure. And 
Uh, but I think that, that there's something that can be replaced there. I think Bryson Washington giving him an opportunity to make those plays um, is a great avenue for Alex Grinch in Oklahoma. The one position I will say, I don't know if they have another nickel. That's and the, yeah, that's and Buki. As I said, you've gotten the whole Buki experience. Everybody was praising him after the Kent State game, loving him. This is the guy that we all thought we we had. And then after the Iowa State game, it's oh my god, uh, he's awful. This and that. Even in the Iowa State I don't game, think, I don't think that. Uh, I mean, his two, three missed tackles killed Oklahoma. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, like, you got you got a full experience of him in Iowa against Iowa State because there were like two or three times where you and I, or, or you pointed it out, like, oh, he's diagnosing the play pre-snap, mm-hmm. and it's a run, and Iowa State would run, and then mm-hmm. OU was able to corral Brees Hall because Buki let everybody know, hey, this is what they're doing. He's sure. smart, and then and that, tr- I that will say jump that- ball and coverage where Buki like slapped the ball away. We don't like that play because OU had dropped four interceptions up to that point. So it's just like, God damn it, another bad throw into coverage that OU doesn't intercept. But it's still a pass breakup. So it's, you know, it's a good play. And just a better play could have been made. A better play could have been made. But that's what we keep saying about Buki is he's the closest thing OU has to a playmaker in the secondary. And that was him making a play. Patrick Fields, Trey Brown, Trey Norwood, for all we know, probably would have just held the guy and then got a 15-yard flag out of it. Yeah, everybody was talking about, you know, Pat Fields. You're not Pat Fields. Trey Norwood being the nickel. Like, I I don't care. I don't, I don't think that's I don't think that's the answer you want. Because Th- people remember that interception against uh, Texas in the Big 12 Championship. You know, you know the ball where Sam Ellinger just threw it directly to him because... Tra- his, tra- Trey Brown made a PBU on it. It was a PBU? I, I could have... Sw- it was a tip. I think it was I, tipped. I thought the play before was tipped. Because no. the receiver ran the wrong route, and so Trey Norwood was just sitting there in the, on the pylon. Uh, Sam Ellinger made an awful decision. The ball was tipped. Breaking and, news. And Trey, Nor- and Trey Norwood was right there. But my point is, is that you know you saw the third down missed tackle, and we pointed it out post-game. Buki, tip- if it's behind the line of scrimmage and there's a play to be made, Buki typically makes it. And, you know, that's – Buki just has to it's – like, it's like Alex Grinch's ornery stepson – like he's everything Alex Grinch wants in a nickel, even at five foot eight, five foot nine, but he just doesn't. He just has these games like last week to where it just looks like he just doesn't belong. Yeah. And my whole point to this is, is that I think you can replace Pat Fields and Trey Brown and upgrade. I don't know if you can upgrade at nickel, and Buki doesn't have to guard Char- Charlie Kolar ever again. <laughs> um, so I think it could it could benefit him in that regard. Um, but again, I think if you're talking about changes on defense, you, you look at Pat Fields and you look at Trey Brown, and I think you can upgrade there. I don't know if you can upgrade a nickel. I feel much better about young players and experienced players if they've earned it. I feel much better about them starting a game than being thrown out there in the third quarter when Absolutely. shit has hit the fan. Because it's, like I said, it's an uphill battle at that point. So, um, I, I seriously think something needs to be done because... I don't expect anything else. So, um, I guess before we kind of wrap this show up, Keegan, um, is there anything? Is there anything different you can expect from the offense? It, can you expect something better out of the receiving core? Not that they've performed poorly. Like, it's not that. Like mm-hmm. there have been some key drops, but whatever. It's a young receiving core. I think the whole. Let's pretend Charleston Rambo is the number one guy. I think that needs to be uh, taken behind the woodshed and put down. 
I, uh, having said that, he did make a key. You know, he stepped up, made a play on fourth down. It was a contested catch, so oh, did credit he to him. cut off? Did he run a sharp route on that one? I don't know. Huh. I didn't see in- that part. In- interesting. Oh, okay. uh, well, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, huh. but, but couldn't do it. Couldn't do it in the first half. But uh, to your point, what can be done offensively? Chris Murray gets eligible. I'm not going to say that that is just the undoubted answer, but it would help. Oh my god, it would absolutely he help. He is a monster. He's very yeah, good. Yeah, he uh, he's a monster, and um, maybe that makes Creed Humphrey better. You know, it, it sure maybe it ma- does. Yeah, so. absolutely. Um, right guard, definitely. There needs to be a conversation about it. And as well, I know people are coming after TJ Pledger for just one miss pass pro. Like, the guy's been nails in pass pro this year. Like, anytime Oklahoma's asked him to pick up a linebacker, he's picked him up. Anytime he's asked him to pick up a, a you know, end, he's picked him up. And do you see what people are doing there? They're pointing out one, one to four mistakes the offense is making. Mm-hmm. And it's so detrimental to the outcome of the game. That's the problem. Yeah, Spencer Rattler. You don't want your offense to have to be perfect. Yeah, I mean, you want to play complimentary football and as well. Like, you, you've you heard me say this. The defense, yes, whenever, you know, oh, the offense turns the ball over, you expect them to get, you know, get a stop, get the ball back to the offense. But, like, Kansas State, it wasn't as much of it, or Iowa State, it wasn't much of an issue. But, like, Kansas State, you know, again, you look back at 2019 – off the field position, I mean, you you make one mistake defensively and they're in field goal range or they're in the red zone. And I think that's also a major issue as well. You know, they got to play complimentary football across the board. Now, the Iowa State game was completely defensively just bad. But my whole point is that you look back at the end of 2019, I mean, Iowa State, if you go, if you remember in the second half, was starting drives on like they're on Oklahoma's 40. Um, you know, they were starting drives, Baylor's, you know, Jalen Hurst turned the football over, starting drives on on Oklahoma's 30. You know, it's it's tough. Um, they got to play better complementary football. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, offensively, a lot of people are having a lot of opinions on four bad decisions from Spencer Rattler and really three bad throws in general. Like, Yeah, a bit, that should be fine. Yeah, if, if you, you, play- you take that from a redshirt freshman, I know my expectations for him have been out of this world. And he lived up to him in the Iowa State game. Um, but my whole point is that, like, guys just he's, – he's looking like the part. Here's a, here's a take I have for you that I know will get a reaction out of you because I have surprisingly watched a few Florida games so far. You know who wishes they only made two to three bad, bad throws or mistakes a game? Kyle Trask. I haven't watched enough Florida this year to – It's good. They're hyped out the wazoo, and so is he. Spencer Rattler is better than he is. No, I, I mean, I, I've, you know, that I, I believe that. I mean, I still but think that's that's the thing is I still you, think Kyle Trask is going to be like a you know late second round, early third it, round draft. If pick. you had an average defense across the board that just played complimentary <laughs> football, those talk, two to three mistakes would not matter. You want to talk about dumpster fire? Go watch Florida's defense. Oh my god! Well, I mean, Ole Miss is like I watched the Ole Miss game. The Ole Miss quarterbacks. I like Ole Miss's quarterback. Yeah, but South Carolina's terrible. Well, I mean, Coach Boom, you know, he's got those, yeah. got those guys ready. For sure. Um, I do want to, you know, before we really dive into the Texas game on Thursday, I, I want to reiterate this again. This game was won by the head coach who wins the head coaching matchup, coordinator matchup, and quarterback play and running, being able to run the football. Yeah. Um, Oklahoma wins the head coaching matchup. Oklahoma wins the offensive coordinator against Chris Ash. God bless his heart on Saturday. Lincoln's going to rip him up a new one. Um, <laughs> and then, but the problem is, is 
there is a couple things here and, you know, talking to people down at Texas over the last two weeks, they think Tom Herman has his hands all over this offense still. And if that's the case, if Tom Herman, this is, and I'll just say, this is the game, this is the blueprint for beating Oklahoma if you're Texas. You go four wide, you go five wide, and you throw it 50 times. If they do that, they're going to win the football game. Yeah. Um, That's what Iowa State tried to do. Yeah, exactly. And Kansas State had success in it. LSU gave the blueprint of how to beat Alex Grinch. And it, it was clear as clear as day, or clear as, what's the phrase, clear as night? Um, but Whatever. Uh, <laughs> it was clear. Yeah, that, you know, you spread him out. He doesn't like to rush more than three if it's four wide, five wide. Now, Oklahoma can get pressure typically doing that whenever everybody's healthy and uh, <coughs> Ronnie Perkins isn't suspended. By the way, you want to look back on something real quick? If Ronnie Perkins' suspension gets really is dropped and he was suspended for no reason in the Peach Bowl, oh, my God. Like I don't OU think would it, have, oh you would have lost by twenty eight instead yeah, of set, yeah instead of thirty whatever it was uh Ugh. but uh but uh yeah I mean or thirty five they uh but again I I think Oklahoma has the better head coach I think Oklahoma has the better offensive coordinator uh, against the defensive coordinator but I think it, they have the more capable quarterback and yes to I think, make the throws that are being asked to that are asked to be made for sure. in a game like this. And, you know, if the question comes down to winning the line of scrimmage, boy, that's going to be a dogfight. I mean, I think Texas' defensive line is going to give Oklahoma's offensive line everything they can handle. And I think the other way, I think it's the same thing. Like yep. Nick Benito, Sam Cosme, sign me up. I may watch – if there's something I'm going to be – you guys are going to see me on Saturday being delayed on some of my stuff, it's because I'm watching Nick Benito and Sam Cosme. I mean, I'm not going to say Nick Benito right now is like a – you know, mid second round, early third round draft pick, yeah. but he has played himself into draft consideration. Like there's gonna be a lot of people talking about because TCU defensive front is not very good. You know, they were able to do some things against Iowa State. Their secondary is so good. Oh. Ball hawks, man. Yeah, they. Uh, and then, uh, but what Nick Benito did to Iowa State's left and right tackle is going to have them thinking the rest of the year. Like yep. he. I think he completely mind effed them um, after that game. So again, I, I just want to say, if Tom Herman screws up his best chance to beat Oklahoma, and I know I said last year that it was their best chance, but truthfully, with Yursich and what Yursich brings to the table, I don't know if the matchup between Yursich and Grinch is. I don't know who wins that. But if Herman has his hands all over this offense, Oklahoma's going to win on Saturday because Tom Tom wants to beat Lincoln at his game. Don't don't give me hope, Keegan. I'm not giving you. I'm just saying. It is if Tom these lands. If Tom Tom wants to beat Lincoln at his game, Tom wants to be the more physical offense. He wants to pound it down your throat. He wants the same Ellinger to run the football. He wants to do all these things. Again, he has to. If he swallows his pride this week and goes Texas high school football air raid, like with like your such wants, they'll beat Oklahoma on Saturday. And it may not be pretty. But if Tom truly has his hands all over this offense, I don't know how they win. I really don't because that means they're going to try to run the football. That means they're going to try to do a bunch of different things. And, you know, bubble screens, quick slants, all those things. Oklahoma's good against that. Well, well, well let's, let's save all that for Thursday. Because I, sure. I wanted to react, but I, I, I'm going to try and stop myself. Sounds good. So let's say that for Thursday. But before uh, we get out of here, uh, two quick housekeeping notes. 
one we totally forgot on the post game show, which is available on the Patreon page for four dollars a month, to grade your three players that you were looking forward to seeing on Saturday against Iowa State. So this is where we're going to do it. So those who don't subscribe to Patreon, you know, you now get this for free. And your three players going into the Iowa State game, one of them was Lincoln Riley, so head coach Lincoln Riley, Marquise Hayes, and Perrion Winfrey. Now, I saw your grades on Soonerswire.com, and I'm just, I, I guess I have my, I already understand where we're going to go with this, but Perrion Winfrey, good. Marquise Hayes, not so good. Lincoln Riley, eh, what the hell? Yeah, I mean, again, Marquise Hayes was better from the Kansas State game to the Iowa State game. That's the growth you want to see from one week to the next. He wasn't perfect. Uh, pancaked a lot of guys from Iowa State, though. Um, he did. I thought he was looked a lot more like his 2019 self. Yeah. Um, two guys really dropped that offensive line grade for me, and it's the common denominator is not great um, in that conversation. Uh, Lincoln, how do I – how, how do you say this? I don't get the that the program has become soft. Now, I know I said the Texas Tech joke has become less of a joke and more of a reality, the Texas Tech North thing. But, you know, you really the only one place that hasn't been physical is the offensive line. And it's wild that Bill Beanbow has let that happen. Um, so I don't – I think Lincoln, you know, bounced back really well. I think the guys composure-wise, I mean – you talk about mentally being able to handle things. You're down 30 to 23. You punt it. and Or you're tied 23-23. You punt it back to Iowa State. You go get a turnover and then you go score. Like, that shows me a lot. And um, I know granted how the rest of the game went. It's not great. But, again, there was a major hold on the kickoff return. That was a huge momentum play. And you can't do anything about that. You got to be able to overcome it. Lincoln, though, I – I don't know. I don't know where I'm at because I was ready to have that conversation this week, but I think that I don't necessarily like agree with how he worded it that we're close. He needed to specify like, are we close to winning football games in the Big Twelve, or are we close to being a national championship contender? Yeah. Because they're they are really close to winning football games. That's for damn sure. They're not close to winning a national championship. So I will deduct him in that regard for the comments made post game. Um, you mentioned uh, Marquise Hayes and then Perry on Winfrey. You heard me say this, and you guys kind of joked with me about it. At a junior college, I thought he played too high, and we didn't get to see sophomore tape to really get a good gauge of that. Like he does play high. Like he comes off the football and comes right, comes straight up sometimes. Yeah. And like against power five offensive linemen, like that's not going to work. Like if you go back to the Kansas State game, he got stoned a lot. So it's illegal unless you have a card. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I thought he played better though, which is what you needed to happen. And uh, no, and you know, I, I do want to finish with this again. Like, go back and watch that game. If you have any question about Spencer Rattler, go back and watch that game. He's going to show you a lot of what you saw with Baker Mayfield. Yep. And that is, if if you're an Oklahoma fan, anything you can count your put put your cap on. If you have a generational quarterback. You've got a, You've got a, as good a chance as anybody. You got to. You know, Oklahoma's got to play complimentary football, but they've got the generational quarterback. And the last thing, Keegan. This one comes from. Uh, this is a question. Actually, comes from actually a patron of ours, uh, Ryan. Asks you, 
because uh, you were actually doing the Lincoln Riley press conference here in my apartment, so we could just go ahead and get the podcast out of the way. You asked your question, Lincoln Riley gave you your answer, and then you said thank you, and then he just went about his merry way without acknowledging your thank you, and Ryan asked, how did that make you feel? He's probably not happy with the stuff I've said on Twitter, so I'm not I'm not going to take that to heart oh, too much. Oh, Lincoln Riley mute you, he blocked you. Did he block me? Let's I, check. I don't know. Shane Beamer hasn't unfollowed me yet. Someone has, though. Uh-oh. Creed, Uh-oh. Creed Humphrey didn't unfollow me. Uh-oh. Ronnie Perkins did that. Some controversy. No. Ronnie, Ronnie and I had a good relationship coming out of high school, too. Thought it was real, man. I know. Oh, well. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Inside OU podcast. Uh, thank you. Thank you all so much. And then, of course, thank you all to continue to subscribe to our Patreon page, like we said. Uh, the full conversation with Danielle Dwyer that you heard at the beginning of this show, you can either watch or listen to it on our Patreon page. It's on the $4 tier. Uh, Keegan's film review is almost all done, but most of it is all available for the $5 Freaking tier. Patreon. The Patreon was weird yesterday. Um, is available on the $5 tier, but we'll be continuing to put out content for you, whether it's free on the Inside OU podcast, available wherever you listen to podcasts, or on our Patreon page. We will continue to put out awesome content for you guys to enjoy. Um, we will be back on Thursday where we will break down more in-depth OU Texas matchups, what OU should do, what OU should avoid, like we always do, th- Keegan's three players. And we will have fun with it. Surely I will probably get a little bit more excited for the o- OU Texas game. So if you were bored by my pessimism, I'm pretty sure I'll be excited on Thursday. So everybody, thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you later.